Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Hello everyone, salam. Welcome to another episode of She Talks Peace. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, greeting you from Manila, which is getting hotter by the day. My co-host. Hi, everyone. I'm Dina, Dina Zaman of Iman Research Malaysia. Welcome to She Talks Peace. Amina, what's happening in Manila? As I was saying earlier, it's getting warmer. I'm Whoa. not exactly looking forward to an early summer, Dina. I mean, okay. politics is, is hot enough in my country and, and other countries without, okay. you know, Having the sweltering heat of a Philippine summer. Same in Malaysia, yeah. right? It's the same in Malaysia, you know. I mean, one day it rains, next day it's going to be really, really hot. Climate change, you know. And uh, for us, politically, nothing has really happened, <laughs> to be honest. So we're having this lull, you know, yep, and waiting for Ramadan. Oh, that's right. Coming up yeah. soon. Yeah, yeah. But so, you know, Dina, I'm looking forward to the delicious delicacies that uh, get served during uh, Ramadan. I don't know why it is, but we have special dishes that uh-huh. our parents used to serve only during the fasting season. I don't understand why we can't have it during the <laughs> other the other months yeah. of the year. Just like Malaysia, we always have this dish or two for a special occasion. And, you know, you can't find it on when it's no longer Ramadan, it's no longer this, you know. Yeah, so I am looking forward to the food that we're yeah, going to have during the me too. Me too. But, yeah. you know, Dina, I've been thinking about you and your former career as a, as a journalist. I've been following this news about the assassination of journalists in Mexico. Can you imagine five killed since the start of the year? My goodness, I didn't, I didn't really quite realize what a dangerous place Mexico is for, for right. journalists. Oh, but, yeah. but, but come to think of it, Dina, so Southeast Asia, in the Philippines, you know, 
we have a record of at least 30 killed. I think 33 killed in the last um, five years. There, there's even now a presidential task force on media security. And um, they said that they're going to investigate. And there, there's even one guy, I think mm-hmm. the executive director of that task force, Who's recommending that journalists should, uh, you know, use guns? They should be armed. What do you think about that? Well, you know, in Malaysia, right? Being a journalist, being an activist is really, really dangerous. So I can understand where you're coming from, you know. Um, right now, uh, I believe about a few days ago, there was a, a vigil, right, uh, for certain pastors, certain activists who've just disappeared from Malaysia. Mm. A lot of people have their own theories towards that, but um, yes, it's dangerous. If you are a bit too obvious and if you fight for, you know, very publicly, you will disappear or be jailed, you know? Yeah, so I, I know I'm an ex-boss, the founder of uh, the Malaysian Insider. He ended up in jail for a few nights for covering the biggest corruption case in the world, one NDB. So it's always, always a fear that journalists, activists have in Malaysia. Yeah. Reporting yeah. about corruption, criminality, drug war, the situation yeah. in, confl- in uh, conflict areas are really dangerous to your health. Yeah. I was um, reminded reading the, the blog of mm-hmm. our, our guest that um, over a year ago, uh, popular... Lebanese writer and activist, a friend of hers, uh, Lokman Slim, right. was also a very outspoken critic against the Iran-backed uh, Hezbollah. Um, yeah. Lokman had said that Hezbollah and the Syrian government were linked to that uh, explosion. Remember that explosion in the Beirut uh, port in 2020? Well, he had been talking about that, and he was assassinated uh, over a year ago, and no progress made in his case. So I guess journalists definitely are not safe in Lebanon with its civil war. It's been some 16 years already. Then you've got the political assassinations. So sometimes I really worry about our guest and the work that uh, she's doing in in Lebanon. Maybe you should invite her to KL, Dina. To the listeners of She Talks Peace, today we have Salsan Abu Zahar. I don't think I've met her, uh, Amina, at any of the I Can Warsaw events. So to everyone, Salsan, she's an independent Lebanese journalist and human rights activist with nearly 24 years of experience. She believes journalism is not a job. Rather, a form of social activism and a medium to promote democracy and human rights. So her writings are focused on emerging democracies, women's causes, human rights, Syrian and Palestinian refugees, Islamic radical movements, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iran issues. That is a mouthful. And as a local partner in Lebanon for Peace Direct, Salsan works on mapping local peace-building actors among Lebanese, Syrians, and Palestinians in Lebanon. She works with hum- uh, women and human rights defenders in, a, in the Middle East, North Africa region, and a regional coalition supporting them as well. 
and she's also doing regional research projects focusing on women, peace, and security, human security, religious minorities. So, Sausan, welcome to She Talks Peace. Hello. Thank you Hello. for having me. Welcome to She Talks Peace, Sausan. I was mentioning your blogs. My goodness, yeah. you are very direct in your blogs. And in one of your blogs last year, you said mental health is collapsing and violence <clears throat> spreading. And then you ask, how do we work for peace in Lebanon? And uh, you said, when foreign colleagues ask you how you're doing, you never know what to say. So last time we communicated, you were highly stressed. So how are you today? So, San, is the situation a little better? Thank you, Amina and Dina, for having me. No, the situation is not better. Oh dear. Uh, we we take it uh, we take it on a daily basis. Uh, my apologies about my voice. I'm recovering from a flu. So nowadays, like flus are uh, scaring you. You never know. Is it a really flu, only flu, or something else? No. Uh, back to your question. No, things are not uh, are not better. We take it on a daily basis, and uh, on the third of February, we gathered uh, to celebrate the life of my friend Lokman Slim. And to ask again, 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 for accountability, for justice, for ending impunity, for him, uh, for all our friends and colleagues that we have lost before. Samir Qasir, Gibran Twaini, prominent journalist assassinated in uh, 2005, for the victims of the Beirut blast, because you cannot have a state of law where you can work for uh, human rights, women's rights, refugees' rights, without accountability and justice. And I think this is a missing point in the modern Lebanese history, because when the uh, Lebanese civil war ended in 1989, with an internationally brokered uh, peace deal, the Ta'if Agreement, Ta'if is the city where it was uh, signed in Saudi Arabia. So it ended with self-imposed or self-granted uh, impunity. The warlords uh, granted themselves impunity and they were not uh, tried. And uh, the, the war ended without uh, uh, transitional justice or any kind of justice. And I think that history haunts you. Uh, there, you cannot skip an important process or stage in ending a civil war with self-granted amnesty, uh, leading to impunity, no accountability, and then you expect uh, things to be okay. That's why I believe we never had a strong state in Lebanon, you know? When the warlords turn into politicians, they continue what they continue uh, what they used to do, without necessarily uh, uh, using arms. You know, so this is a uh, a daily struggle in Lebanon for uh, human rights, accountability, 
justice along with uh, the daily fight for uh, you know electricity good oh, internet yeah. uh, food oh, amid the uh, like total economic uh, collapse you know what susan you know dina i, I cannot uh, picture in my mind the yeah. time that my parents uh, went to visit lebanon this was um, i don't know maybe 40, 40, yeah, 40 years ago. And my mom said, it's like the Paris of the Middle East. She said, Lebanon mm. is so wonderful. The food mm. is great. The women are so sophisticated. And I cannot square okay. that picture of Lebanon with the picture that I'm seeing now from, from, uh, Sosan's, uh, Talk, no electricity, food is a problem. Oh my goodness, Dina. Yeah. Yeah, it's a common saying to describe uh, Lebanon as the even the Switzerland of the East and oh. the Paris of the Middle East. And yeah, things things have changed, you know, the living standards. Also, you have to fight to get uh, medicine. Oh, wow. Because yeah, because they are rare or uh, very expensive. Like a couple of months ago, in, this, in the article you mentioned about mental health, I said that cancer patients were, uh, were had a demonstration. They were asking for their right to get their medicine to continue their treatment. Mm. So it's, uh, it's a daily struggle on, like... Uh, uh, Several levels at the same time. On the right level, you know, uh, justice, accountability, human rights, uh, not uh, not getting assassinated or uh, questioned over an article, a tweet, a Facebook post, and an equally important uh, struggle, you know, uh, to have electricity, to have a warm house. It's a um, more than usual cold winter here in Beirut and all over Lebanon. And to have food, uh, to have proper education for your children, um, to have medicine, like I said, um, to have a reliable internet. Perhaps we should tell our listeners that we had some issues uh, with my internet connection. So it's. Uh, That's right. So it's not the Lebanon, it's not the Lebanon that your mother spoke about, not the uh, Lebanon that my late parents knew, and not even the Lebanon that, you know, I lived my whole life in it. Noting that I spent most of, I mean, all my childhood in the civil war. Uh, so it's... Um, I think countries suffer just like human beings because countries are uh, living uh, living entities. They suffer, they prosper, they get sick, they uh, yeah, they they suffer. I think countries uh, suffer as well, and uh, the trauma of uh, and the fight. Since the Beirut blast is an 
ongoing one because no progress in the investigation, like outrageous political interference, to stop us or in order not to get to the point that my uh, brave friend, Lukman, that you mentioned raised. I mean, who, who, uh, who did break this uh, extremely dangerous material to Beirut? Why it was like uh, unaccounted for? Uh, how did it go to Syria? And uh, so it's 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 a big 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 picture, and it's um, uh, afraid and sad to say it's not bright. But we try it. We try to do what we do because I mean I don't think we have uh, choices. Well, you know, Sasan, um, recently, right, I was a consultant for a project and it's finishing and it's basically talking about peace journalism. I'm not going to bore you uh, with the details of how Malaysian journalism is and how journalists in Malaysia look at writing about conflict or peace journalism. My question would be is that does one have to have passion to write about peace journalism and writing about conflict? instead of looking at it as a job that pays the bills, because, you know, that's kind of impression I'm getting. But looking at your blog, looking and listening to you, obviously to do the work that you do, is not just about passion, it's also about responsibility to your people and country. What do you have to say to that? Yeah, I, I, I recently tried to, to explore what peace journalism means in one of my articles uh, because I believe like uh, you can be a peace journalist even at a, um, a context of war or war correspondent. In fact, I believe, I am convinced that Mary Colvin, who is a role model for uh, more or less for all uh, female journalists and actually no one can can copy her courage and she was like uh, crazily courageous. I mean, a superwoman. So she was labeled as a war correspondent, but I do believe she was a peace journalist. And because she was a peace journalist, uh, she passed away. I mean, she didn't, she, uh, the people she, she was uh, reporting, she didn't leave them behind. She could have saved her, saved herself. Yeah, I mean, we all have to pay our bills, and it is uh, an additional challenge that we are facing. For instance, in Lebanon, there is a big, big raise in the cost of um, private generator and uh, inter and uh, yeah, the internet and uh, rents. So I have like I was stressing recently over these issues and. So I'm paying more money for my rent, for my private generator. 
but like everyone else then uh, it 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 must be something beyond uh, like a job it, it must be uh, more about the people you write about and portray because they have names and they have families and they lost They're loved your ones. friends yes yes they are not numbers and it's easy to say that you know uh, like more than uh, 200 people uh, passed away during the beirut blast but they had they were people and like literally 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 it could have been any of us it could yeah. have been me me yani it could have been me too so it's i'm using me too in a different context because it could have been me as well so uh, i could not be neutral when dealing with this issue or this cause i believe that as a journalist sometimes uh, you should be uh, subjective yeah no need to be objective when it comes to suffering of uh, refugees of women of victims of war of survivor of violence I mean, you cannot be objective. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. You know what Susan, what you're um what you're telling us right now uh, really does remind me about the time um, decades ago, maybe 40, 50 years ago in the Philippines, in Mindanao, similar conditions, Ele- no electricity, uh, you know, mm-hmm. our communities were being bombed. You didn't know where to get your food, schools mm-hmm. were closing. So to speak up was, was very dangerous, but there were still journalists and women who did speak out. And it also reminds me of something you wrote about when uh, you're thinking about moving forward. And you said it is time for revolutionary peace building. Mm. What is revolutionary peace building, Susan? I used that term. It's out of the box, peace building to start with. But used that uh, term specifically because that article was written in a period the early spread of the pandemic which which revealed how fragile or uh, 
uh, week. Our health care system is, but also it has led, among other factors, to stopping the popular uh, revolution that has erupted in uh, October uh, 17th, 2019. Okay? Here you had like a pandemic, economic crisis. Yeah. People, people were uh, locked at homes without income. And these builders are uh, among these people. They struggle too with uh, rent, with worries. Uh, at that time, we were uh, also uh, insecure about the pandemic and what it means. So I thought that, and there is a, also a misconception about uh, more or less in Lebanon, and I think I assume in other places at, uh, as well about this building, that it is an elitist activity. You know, you work in an NGO, you are well paid. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like your laugh. Uh, you receive like uh, you receive like dollars in income. You travel a lot, and whereas in fact many of the peace builders are volunteers, they are not paid, and they work on grassroots level, and it is it is also a draining activity. You reach a point where your mental health and uh, your psychological security is at risk. So I thought with everything changing around the revolution, kind of reach a deadlock or um, and the pandemic around, perhaps it, it was a chance for, for peace builders to uh, rethink uh, their outreach to their community to think outside the box, to, to find the, the spotlight, uh, to find a turning point so that they have more impact and for people to know that it is not like uh, these builders don't come from outer space and, <laughs> and they are not like isolated in fancy uh, offices. No, in fact, most of uh, peace builders nowadays in Lebanon work from home, either because, you know, they are volunteering or they cannot afford the rent of the office anymore, so they work from home. There was an opportunity for peace builders to connect more with the local communities and yani, once and for all to defy these like stereotypes and misconceptions about peace building. Um, and peace builders uh, face challenges, you know. I know of some who have, like, not given up, but they left the country like everyone else because the work of peace building is heroic, but peace builders are, uh, like, like people at the end of the day and sometimes you reach your limits and you need to stop in order not to lose yourself and overdrain yourself i'm sure you can relate to that i can i can mm-hmm. empathize with you Susan. <laughs> you know what dina yeah. <laughs> when yeah. when we were emailing each other and i was asking 
Susanna, she was doing, and um, she said that you know she was really tired, and I was saying, well, well, I said in my little little garden, what I do yeah. is I sit down and and wait for the birds to come and visit. And Susanna, you were saying that you did the same thing. Yeah, although I don't have a garden, but believe it or not, my neighborhood in Beirut, I mean, it's in the middle of the city, so no garden. It's kind of a miracle that in my street, we have a lot of trees. Yeah, uh, some private gardens for like uh, uh, some old buildings and an ugly skycraper facing me, but they have a small garden. So these trees, bring uh, birds and whenever I'm having uh, like it's early morning and tired but I'm for whatever reason my mind is working so I'm awake so all of a sudden I hear I open my window I hear the birds yeah and it's a therapy yeah it's relaxing it's so birds give me hope they they keep flying no matter what and yeah, as to what what you what you said to me is that the garden could be like a metaphor that yes. we should like all try to find our own garden to rewind to relax, to rewind yeah and to uh, continue thinking out of the box and uh, taking refuge, having little sanctuaries uh, whenever. Uh, you can get it. That's mm. that's really quite um, important. I don't know what Dina does. I think Dina strokes her cat. That's oh. how she. That's oh, how she manages. Right, Dina. I th- to be honest, you know what Amina, Salsan, right? Yeah. I mean, of course, you know, in Malaysia, we have this what you call the middle income uh, uh, illness. You know, we have not really gone through proper conflicts. Yeah. And when I hear the stresses, the mental health issues that all of you grapple you know, to share what I do, you know, it sounds so trivial. I mean, what I do, meditation, prayers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cats entertain me by jumping up and down my head. I think we can, we just do what we do to make ourselves happy or at least calm, you know, Mina? What I have done is, I actually found my old books. You know the peace activist, the Buddhist uh, priest, Thich Nhat Hanh? And one of the books actually fell off. And it's talk about, it talks about dealing with violence in our lives, violence in the world. And I just thought, I think it's just so apt to read this with the work we do. We've got to find peace in ourselves before we can find peace outside. But that's me being very airy-fairy, you know? Yeah, I like to uh, I like to share uh, two thoughts with you here about the importance of mental health and that we should talk about it. I mean, in our cultures, more than people you know uh, coming from the West Europe or the US, because more or less in our cultures, I would say with Islamic background or Eastern background. It's kind of a taboo and you would like reach out to people saying I'm sick, like I have flu, I have whatever. Admitting physical sickness, but like uh, not willing or feeling ashamed to ask 
for help because you're depressed, because you're down. Right. Yeah, and uh, uh, so if you have like mental health issues in this part of the world or this culture, our culture, you uh, it's it's the equivalence of being crazy. It's not. It's it's because even back to the spirituality of Islam, you have a body and a soul. Right. So sometimes your body gets tired. Sometimes right. your soul gets tired. So you need right. to fix your soul. Fixing your soul is caring about mental health. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the second idea, the first one was in 2014. And the second one was recently in um, like an online training or session about well-being, wellness, mental care. You know this exercise when you draw a tree with roots and yeah. and and it's it's kind of like counting your blessings and your strong points, strength points. So um, doing it in 2014, filling that tree in 2014 was much easier for me to do it like a couple of months ago. Although 2014 was a like a, on a personal level was a a devastating year. I lost my late father, and like three years earlier, I already have lost my mother. So like in 2014, here I am. I have no parents anymore, oh, and wow. yet, and yet it was easier than a couple of months ago uh, to fill that tree. It is because. I thought about it. It is because because maybe at 2014, uh, things my my life was tough, but things in Lebanon were uh, like kind of normal between the brackets, more or less. So in 2021, it was like a, a tougher life on all levels. You know that trauma of the blast. Uh, kind of a sense of guilt for surviving. I have like learned to deal with it, and everything is more difficult. Your profession, things around you, your country. So it was kind of interesting that in a, a span of seven years, it was more difficult for me to to uh, to fill that tree. So yeah, I believe like we should uh, we should talk about uh, mental health and yeah. assure ourselves ourselves that it is okay not to be okay. It's perfectly fine. The, the tree of life. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's something, Dina. I think in Malaysia you also have the tree of life as as part of of uh, culture because um, in my tribe from Sulu, the, the Tausug uh, tribe, the Sama uh, people, that's part of our traditional uh, artwork. Uh, mm. Putting putting together um, some embroidery. Um, my people, what they do is they, they do cutouts and they sew a tree of life on... Uh, 
on textile. So it's like a, a tapestry. And somehow when you were talking about, about drawing the tree, I started thinking about the tree of life that the women in, in my tribe would make. Mm. And I wonder whether to them, that is also a way of bringing out the spirituality, the continuation of mm. life and uh, the hope that they have. You have that also in Malaysia, right? You know, the tree of I life? Think tree of life, not for Muslims in Malaysia, but definitely among the Hindus, you know, uh, the Buddhists, they have that concept. But I like what Sarsan said that, you know, yes, you know what I mean? I mean, we, Sometimes we do feel guilt that we're still standing here, you know, while yeah. as an opportunity really suffering. But at the same time, I think, you know, with the recent bereavement in my family and all that, I guess maybe we should be grateful and maybe realize that maybe God, the universe, has put us here to do something. So for that, we must be grateful, even though there are days you feel like tearing your hair out. Yeah. And honestly, I really admire you because I'm in my mind and thinking, if I am you, how would I handle this? I won't handle this very well. How do you come up with all these coping skills as you battle conflict, as you battle brutality? Apart apart from drawing your tree of life. Yeah. Well, like I said at the very beginning of our talk, taking things like uh, a day by day, I I stopped like uh, planning big, you know. Uh, it's not, and this does not mean that I lost ambition. These are totally different things. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that I am, despite everything, I am uh, still in a better position than uh, many of my fellow Lebanese. I have a roof. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can pay my bill still. And I find food. I, I am still able to work. I'm still able to get warm when, when I'm cold. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you just feel like uh, it's okay. Today I don't want to do anything. Yeah. I just... It's okay. So uh, I even don't push myself to to get out of bed when it is time to get off, out of bed. Mm, mm. And sometimes it's like uh, a little sunlight when you're recovering from uh, a flu like uh, like I am. So yesterday was sunny. So I just uh, like uh, stood by the window and I I let my skin embrace the sun. Sometimes it's just like uh, small little things, yeah, you know. Simple, yeah. No need to be heroic. I mean, mm, like mm. Um, having my nails done, my my. Oh, I can I can empathize with that. Having your nails done, yeah. Yeah, small little small things. things. Uh, a good book, uh, just uh, resting and thinking that. I think when you when you think of people who are in a more difficult situation than yours, uh, things become uh, easier. I spoke about the Beirut blast, so 
I felt like I have escaped death uh, twice that day because at first I was not far from where it occurred. Then I got home at a specific time because I wanted uh, to use the elevator because the electricity would be cut afterwards. Ah. Yeah, and then I was on my couch when uh, a window was blown away. Oh it hit me on the back of my uh, head. Then it rebounced back without like uh, being broken on my head. Wow. So I didn't really grasp what was oh happening. Okay. And then the second window, again, blown away, but the glass was shattered right next to me. Okay. And right next to me, I mean, I swear, I looked at my hand, uh, right arm, and I couldn't believe that it is still there and I wasn't bleeding. Oy. So uh, you're you're still you're you're still lucky, Susan. But Susan, you know, listening listening to to your experiences, I I, I wonder why anyone would come and do the work that you're doing in uh, in Lebanon or the work that these brave women are doing in the conflict areas of Indonesia and in uh, other areas Susan do you how, how how do the young Lebanese feel I mean young people now they're into games and uh, video games and hip-hop are, how about the young Lebanese? Do they come out and do they work with you on peace building? Yeah, before answering that, I want to, yeah, to uh, I totally agree that I am lucky because uh, sometimes when I, I am down, I just look at my right arm and I tell myself that it's still there. And I could have lost my arm like in a blink of an eye. Yeah. Uh, so about, back to your question about the young Lebanese. Uh, it's. I think the answer is there is no one single answer. Some do live in their uh, la-la land. And I think those who live in their la-la land are the ones who are still uh, well off financially. Ah, uh, okay. But others are like already at early age in the labor market at very harsh conditions. And they are um, not only Syrian refugees, but uh, Lebanese, uh, young uh, Lebanese as well. Many are frustrated. And if, uh, if we go to a higher age, I mean, like, uh, uh, finishing high school, starting university. I recently spoke, uh, like last week, uh, to a couple of uh, university students, uh, 10 or 11, uh, about their plans for the future. Only one of them wanted to stay in the country. Oh, dear. So they are studying at uh, the most prestigious university. It's like their passport, I mean, to get a uh, A-class education. And then the plan is to go to the Gulf, to Europe, mm. or to Canada, to, to whatever. Only one person 
uh, is willing to stay and uh, because he is gonna the plan is to to run the factory of his father so so he has options you know it's like a family business and he wants to stay so uh, it's a i they are frustrated and one of them was in uh, age uh, 21 it al- uh, it allows him uh, to vote and we have upcoming elections in may and he and it would be like a first time in his life that he would vote and i asked him are you willing to vote he said no why why for oh dear so, so i told him okay you're not satisfied with any of the political class Again, I remind you that these are warlords who turned into politicians. <laughs> but, okay. But, but, but civil society is active. You know, people like you who, who were in the revolution, who are trying to run for the election, who are trying to, to work for change. Why don't you look for them? Okay. And if you find like their names in your district, why don't you try to vote for them? So he didn't have an answer. I'm not sure if this means like he wasn't interested in continuing the conversation with me or that he might consider uh, voting for change. But uh, but it is scary that uh, young people are finding, and I, I'm not judging, I'm not blaming. They want an exit out of this country. I mean, look at the picture back in uh, like five or six years in the future. Mm. Who will be here? So it's true. The warlords. My generation is getting older, and uh, you you will have like elder people and no young people at all. I mean, it's like you have like uh, you will have a country dying. Because if you don't have youth in mm. your country, sticking to your country, this is a very dark scenario. What makes me sad is that during the revolution that was like two years and uh, four months ago, not, not very long, the young people and young women and uh, even a grandparents, parents, but young people were involved. I mean, they gave up on their video games that you mentioned, and they went uh, to the streets for the first time in their lives. There was big hopes, big expectations, and then, wow, big disappointments. Once what happened? More. They had high hopes. I had high hopes too, but then because, you know, like I said, warlords turned into politicians. So it's not like because like masses of people were on the streets, they they are simply going to say, ah, okay, I hear you. You want me to step down. You want to fight corruption. Uh, You want uh, a modern secular state. Okay, I hear you. I'm stepping down. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They won't do that, and they didn't do that. There, uh, we faced tear gas, uh, rubber bullets, and when you look around, you know, uh, Egypt, Libya, even Tunisia, a change is a very slow process. And 
how patient are we? I keep asking myself. Because if I want to speak about myself, sometimes I regain my hopes. At other times, they just disappear. And you so know? That's why you take it day by day. Yes, yes. And I think it's a coping mechanism because I mm. don't want to overburden myself. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But, but you know what, Susan? It's uh, something that might be of interest to you, and I don't know how we could link them up. In Malaysia, I'm so excited because the young people have started to come together. They've been Great. lobbying their government. They put up their own political party. Dina, you should you should try and get and some of the I leaders of Muda to talk to Susan. They have, uh, yeah. I emailed the, you know, Washington founders, oh, these young people, so I'll try. Don't worry. I'm on it. Yeah, but tell tell Susan about about Muda and what they've managed to accomplish in the last five years. Amina and Tina, I should say, I should give them credit that when the the very second day uh, after the blast, like they were on the streets again, okay, A cleaning, helping, volunteering. While the government agencies were like out of sight, you know, as if this happened uh, on uh, on another planet. There are times when 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 they uh, find hope again, but uh, but at others, no. Uh, I mean, they uh, and the ones who want to leave the country, uh, they don't have a clear cut answer. Whether they will be, uh, it will be like a, a final. Uh, they will leave for good, or they will come back. You know, after like making some money. Mm. Though they say that if they manage to succeed, they might not come back, unless for family visits. So, yeah. uh, so if I'm taking things like on a daily basis. I mean, young people um, would be like having the same strategy because I'm not sure, but uh, like I, I saw some moments of high hopes during the revolution, mm. uh, you know, embracing everyone's right, mm. uh, embracing the rights of at the early days of the revolution, embracing the rights of migrant workers. Condemning the kafala system, uh, embracing the rights of Syrian and Palestinian refugees, embracing the LGBTQ uh, plus communities, embracing uh, supporting women's rights in custody of children, because right, believe right. it or not, we still women still like die literally 
or go to prison to get custody of their children because you have no way. Yeah, I swear, because you have religious courts dealing with these issues in Lebanon, not a secular court, because uh, if you are Christian, it's a Christian court dealing with it. If you are Muslim Sunni, it's a Muslim Sunni court. Mm-hmm. If you are a Shiite, it's a Shiite court, because you don't have like one uh, secular penal code protecting you as a woman or as a citizen. There were hopes, high hopes. You see, you see how many things we want to change in our country. Yeah, I, yeah. As I, women, I, I, can, as I can't imagine. Yeah. Uh, okay, we want accountability. We want a modern state. We want a state of law, but but also we want equal rights for women, and that should be. We shouldn't be talking about it. I mean, nowadays. Lebanese women cannot pass nationality to their children. What? Yeah. And you know why? You know why? Why? Yeah, simply because, again, warlords turned into politicians don't want, you know, like balances between the different sects to be shaken. Because, uh-huh. like, if you marry a, um, a Palestinian, refugee okay your children are palestinian they don't want them to be lebanese they fear oh. that it will be that it will lead to permanent settlement oh. to the palestinians in lebanon and they fear that it would be increase the number of muslims in the country on the expense of the number of christians in the country so it's it's like as women sometimes i feel we live in the like dark ages oh my goodness yeah, okay, we, we have the freedom, uh, more or less to wear what we want to wear. Uh, but I, to me, this is superficial. I yes, want equal rights as a citizen, as simple as that. As a Lebanese woman, I want equal rights as a citizen, as a citizen. You know? I hear you. I hear you. And judging on the blogs that uh, you've been writing, uh, you're shedding spotlight on what needs to be done. And I I think that will permeate the consciousness of many who who read you. And I I I I do have high hopes for the young of Lebanon. I think some of them are going to listen. And they may be concerned about jobs now because they need to provide for their families. But I think so some, some of them will return and protect their, protect their roots, draw their own so. tree of life. Don't you think, Dina? Oh, well, you know, I mean, what I realized is almost everyone on podcast, everyone talks about mental health, self-love, self-care. Yes. And I think Maybe in our webinars, you know, or physical conferences, right? We really should have one section for an hour per day. Yeah? There's mm. no self-care and meditation or something like that because it's become, it's not a selfish thing anymore. It is very integral to the what we do. No, oh. it is not selfish. It's not selfish at all to be okay. Yes, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. We need the time out 
to breathe. Yeah. But, but in, in Southeast Asia, Susan, um, there, there's a tendency for women when we, when we gather to dance. And, oh. uh, the dancing lifts the, the spirit apart from exercising your body. And, uh, in a way, it gives us, um, a nice, uh, break. And, mm-hmm. and I think Arab women do the same, right? When you're all together, Lebanese women, you, you also dance, right? I mean, not necessarily, but it is, yeah, it, it is part of this culture, you know, uh, to dance and, uh, Yeah, I think I think it changes the mood, and it is a, a collective activity and personal at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, I, I I I can't wait for the time when we come together, the Women's Alliance for Security Leadership, uh, because there's plan for us to gather this year, right? And uh, when when we do gather, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of dancing among the women, just so we can release yes. <laughs> tension, release pressure, yeah. and feel like ourselves again. Oh, this has I, been a, a very very fun but heavy conversation, Dina. I hope uh, sometime soon, um, like. Uh, You know, people would uh, trust their uh, uh, physical, uh, uh, feel safe around other people, you know, it's because I feel like um, COVID has also affected our mental health, that you feel like insecure around other people, that they are a potential threat to your, uh, to your safety, that you might get, you might get infected. So I think uh, that... Uh, We, we should like explore, I mean, like not we, us, uh, humanity should explore more about the impact of how COVID-19 has changed us. And we, we need to be like social creatures again. Again. Because we have like turned into anti-social uh, creatures to uh, defend ourselves, but in, in a way, physically, but uh, I'm sure it has affected our, uh, mental health absolutely you're absolutely right and this one hour conversation has helped to connect us although we are oceans apart and rekindle yeah. the ties of uh, sisterhood that that yeah, bind sure. us together Mm-mm. yeah and to feel like uh, that uh, some issues uh, despite the uh, distances And uh, some struggles for uh, women and the human rights defenders are uh, similar. These are universal causes. Thank you, Susanne. This has been a, a really interesting conversation with you. But uh, before we bid goodbye, maybe you'd like to send a message to our listeners, because uh, as it turns out, there are, we've got listeners now in about 45 countries. So over to you, Susan. I just want these listeners in these 45 countries. I know the world's uh, uh, attention span is limited and there mm. are always new causes. The world today is busy with Russia and Ukraine. 
I want your loyal listeners. I humbly ask your uh, listeners in these 45 countries uh, to keep asking and reading and following news uh, from Beirut, from Lebanon, and to help us in every possible way in seeking justice and accountability because it's not that a blast has happened on August 4th and we moved forward. We didn't. We should have those responsible for this uh, catastrophe, accountable, tried, put in prison. We are not seeking revenge. We are seeking justice. So keep uh, like lobbying for Beirut, thinking about Beirut, reading about Beirut. This will really make a difference and would be a great help. Oh, and Susan, how can they read your your articles? How can they reach your blog? It's on Peace Inside, uh, the website for Peace Direct, where uh, uh, we map the local peace builders. And once they go to the Lebanon section, they find my articles. But it's not about me. It's about my people yes. and our struggle and our uh, and our struggle. And uh, trying, uh, seeking to survive in the country and uh, to save the country and save ourselves at the same time, you know, uh, because accountability is a way of saving, uh, having a future. If impunity would lead uh, would lead to what it has led over the past years, so. Uh, Accountability is our savior. Thank you so much, Susan. And um, I do hope that you get over the flu and you yeah, take you. time out and look at the birds, feel the sunlight on your skin and just just thank breathe, you. just breathe. I will. <laughs> I will remind myself of that, Amina. And meanwhile... To everybody listening uh, to us, I do hope that you check out uh, Susan's uh, writings. She has got really fantastic insight into what's happening in in Lebanon. She brings to life uh, what's happening with uh, people, with individuals and, and friends. I myself have been encouraged by, by what I had uh, read in your blog, Susan. So thank, thank you so you. much for for joining us. Well, Dina, this has been another very, very long conversation. Well, you know, always, always educational, always, always enlightening to our listeners. Thank you for listening in. And, you know, consider peace journalism, not just yeah. as a career, but also as a mission, a personal, you know, mandate. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have to be in conflict countries. You, you do so much, you know, writing about peace. So thank you, Sasam. Thank you, Sasam. Hello? Thank okay. you. All right, my phone now my, is my mic now. And I mean, again, thank you for, uh, for arranging this. I look forward to the next podcast. And I hope to see you one day, Sasam. Me too, Dina, me too. Let's see you soon, whether in KL or Manila. And this is uh, Amina Rasul 
from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, thanking everyone yeah. for listening to Susan Abuzar on She Talks Peace. Okay. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.